Central. How are we doing this morning? Who's happy to be in church today? Welcome to all you watching online. Welcome to those of you here in person. It's fun to laugh a little bit together. If you're new, my name's Corey, one of the pastors here. And today we kick off our fall series called Bad Vice. On the count of three, everybody say Bad Vice. One, two, three. Now that is a made up word, obviously. It's kind of like Patois down in Jamaica. We just cram phrases together. But it's the simple, I mean simple explanation, it's bad advice. Because let's be honest, whether it's two big dudes that don't belong on a spring seesaw jumping on, like that, that's obviously bad advice. Big and small in life, we've all followed some bad advice. If you've ever followed some bad advice, some bad advice, raise your hand. Right, yeah, hey, come on. Amen. Thank you. If you're new to Central, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. We're all really messed up. Um, like we've all followed bad advice. We've all sinned. And it's just nice to acknowledge the fact that uh, no one here has it together. Isn't that nice? We all just take a deep breath, like inhale, exhale. Oh, yeah, we all need Jesus. Can I get an amen? Okay, this side really needs Jesus. This side, we re we'll get you there. But guys, we're kicking this series off. And, and the idea kind of came from, I was talking with a buddy literally three years ago. And he was like, hey, I have this idea uh, for a podcast. I want to call it Bad Advice for Leaders. Because you know how like every conference we go to, every book we read is everybody's highlight reel, right? Oh, I did this right and I got this result and now I did this. And he goes, but I don't know about you, Corey, but I learn more from my mistakes and other people's mistakes than I do their successes. And so we did a podcast. We were like, Bad Advice for Leaders, Bad Advice for Moms, Bad Advice for, for Dads. And we just kind of had some fun with it. And I carried that and kind Kind of like just kept thinking about it for years and I brought the idea to Pastor Craig and Travis and the team here and they were like that's great and let's call it Bad Vice and let's have some fun with it. And so this fall we want to have some fun, we want to laugh at ourselves a little bit but we want to learn. Because I love the tagline of this series, Bad Vice, mistakes made, lessons learned and freedom found. Because how many of you know we've all made mistakes but man if you will press in and learn from those mistakes there can be freedom found on the other side that keeps you from following that bad advice again in life. Now true wisdom is said, it's said that true wisdom is when you don't have to mistake, make the mistake yourself but you can learn from other people's mistakes. So that's what we're trying to do. Instead of looking at the triumphs in the Bible like David beating Goliath, you know, or Moses parting the Red Sea. We're going to look at the lowlights, you know, and the Bible's full of bad advice, of people following bad advice. The Bible's full of people following bad advice and ending up with regrets, right? You got David and the babe Bathsheba. Um, David goes to his rooftop when he should be out at war, checking the chicks out, and then he finds one he likes. He follows some really bad advice and almost ruins the entire nation of Israel. How many of you think David regretted that, right? Like, duh, right? I mean, there's bad advice. I mean, you got like Jonah and Nineveh. God says go to Nineveh. Jonah was like, nope. And then God put him in a whale. How many of you think Jonah like regretted not going to Nineveh and following that bad advice? Right? I mean, just all. Abraham gave his wife to another man. That's crazy. Some of you are like, that's in the Bible? Yeah. And then his wife gave him her servant to uh, have a child with. How many of y'all know that's some bad advice? Married people, I'll just tell you, that's the word for you today. Don't do that. Right? But let's learn from that bad advice. And so that's what we're going to jump into today. If you have a Bible, we're going to be hopping around quite a bit. Got a lot of scripture to throw at you. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Matthew chapter 26. Then we'll make a run over to Luke and John if we have time and end our time in 1 Peter. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, you're like bookmarking everything. Don't worry, it'll be on the screens. But as we jump in today, and I was thinking about just the concept of bad advice I thought about a trip I got to take not too long ago. I got invited to, to a church over in Las Vegas. It was actually called Central. It's kind of cool. Same name. 
But I got invited to go spend some time with this church over in Las Vegas, and they put me in this hotel in Las Vegas down on the Strip. And if you've ever been to Vegas and stayed in one of those hotels, you know when you go down to the lobby, what's in the lobby of a Vegas hotel? Th thank you, the honest people. Again, this side, this side, what's up? Some of you are like, can we say that in church? Right. Like, I didn't say I gambled. I said there's casinos in the lobby, right? It's some bad advice. Gambling, right? Like their house hotel is way bigger than yours. Guess who wins more, right? There you go. But I went down to the lobby, and there's that famous Vegas mentality. What's that famous saying when it comes to Las Vegas? <laughs> right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. How many of you know that's some bad advice? That's some bad advice. Because y'all are like, no, it doesn't, especially with social media today, right? Like, what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. And it was interesting because I remember I walked through the lobby, and, and I could just see people. People were like, man, you know, I'm not, you would hear people, I'm not gambling, I'm not losing my money. But then they would see the lights. They'd hear the noises. You know, you hear the sirens. You'd hear that one woman, yeah, jackpot. And you could watch it. People's mindset would change. You'd hear them be like, YOLO, only live once. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And I, I could see it over and over. People would go to tables like this, and you'd see them, and, and I'd hear them. I'm just going to do a little bit. I'm just, I'm just going to do a little bit, right? And so they'd sit down at the table and be like, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to do a little bit. You know, and the, the dealer would, would deal out the cards. And, and it, some of you are like, I can't believe he's doing this at church. Don't worry. It'll, it'll have a reason. But, but, but they're just, like, just a little bit more. You know, you win or lose. Like, a little bit more. A little bit more. Well, well maybe, maybe just a little bit more. And little bit by little bit, I watch person after person lose a lot. Because how many of us know, like, the bad advice in life usually isn't obvious. Usually we end up with big regrets because of little decisions. I have a mentor that told me a long time ago, he said the difference between a good life and a great life isn't one big decision. It's small good decisions every day. But the difference between a good life and a bad life is not some big bad decision, but usually it's little bit by little bit until eventually we're left with nothing. And so what we want to talk about today is how in this game of life, no matter the cards that are dealt our way, how do we play this game of life where we follow good advice, not bad advice, where we gain little bit by little bit and not lose little bit by little bit. And so again, if you, if you have that Bible, there's kind of a theme verse for today. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 says this, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without Regret. Everybody say regret on the count of three. One, two, three. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. What, what Paul's saying there is there is a way to play this game of life where, yes, you'll get some bad cards, well, yeah, cards where, yes, things won't go your way, but there's a way to play the game of life that even though you deal and follow bad advice from time to time and you deal with regret, there is a healthy way to handle our regrets. The title of my message today is Running from Regret. Because how many of us have regrets, right? Some of you are like, coming here, I'm convicted already, right? Like, we, we all deal with regret that comes on the other side of bad advice. I, I was Googling this week, um, like, hey, what are some of people's biggest regrets? And oddly enough, tattoos came up. Um, and I just found it funny. You know, some decisions are bigger than others. And I was like, I Googled, I was like, okay, regrettable tattoos. And 
Uh, I brought some here for you. Hopefully none of you can relate to it. Um, sometimes we make decisions that are a little permanent. I like that he just like kind of kept it. And he's like, oh, Holly, I meant Holly. Uh, here, how about this one? This one's funny. Any Bon Jovi fans in the house? It's is my life. Yeah, always check grammar and spelling. Um, what about Metallica? Any Metallica fans? Nothing else, mattress. That'd be a good, man, spelling, guys, grammar matters. How, how about this one? Just straight up, just embracing a lifestyle of no regrets or rather no regrets. And then finally, this one was from a movie. I loved it. Living life without regret. No regret. He may regret a letter. Some of you are like, hey, he spelled it wrong, if you couldn't tell. But in life, like some decisions are permanent, some are bigger, but we all deal with regretting. How many of you have ever heard somebody say that? No regrets. I have no regrets in life. Anybody ever like, YOLO, no regrets. What happens? But, but I was listening to a world-renowned psychologist under the topic of regret, and she said this. She said, life without regret is most commonly associated with sociopaths or people with frontal cortex brain damage. <laughs> so if you're sitting next to somebody and they're like, I don't have regrets, slide over. No. <laughs> right? Or if you want to live a life without regrets, just go bang your head against the wall for a little while. Because regrets are part of life. We all make decisions. Regret itself is defined as this. A feeling of sadness, sorrow, or disappointment over something that has happened or been done. We all deal with regret. We've all followed bad advice. We've all landed on the other side of bad advice with regret. And today I just want to talk about how we handle those regrets and how we can avoid that bad advice. And, and there's a story in Scripture that happens around a table. Kind of reminded me of it. Like there's this, there's this night where Jesus sat at the table with his posse, with his homeboys, with the disciples and a, and a slightly larger entourage. And, and, and he's sitting at the table with the guys. And we know this night. It's a famous night. It's the night before he was crucified. We call it the Last Supper. And in this night he said a lot of things, but... But he had a specific conversation with two disciples, two famous biblical characters. And in that night, it's as if he was sitting at the table and he took the cards of life and he dealt the two disciples a hand. Specifically, he talked to both of them. One was Judas, the other was Peter. The only two disciples he called out by name. And he dealt them almost identical hands. Y'all know the story. It, It reads... In Matthew chapter 26, verse 21, and as they were eating and sitting at the table, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, duh. He didn't say that, but he said, yes, you have said so. He dealt Judas's hand. Odds are, Judas, you're going to betray me. Pretty bad card. And then just two verses later in the conversation, he says this, verse 33, and Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me, you will betray me with your words three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Did you catch it? He dealt Peter almost an identical hand. Actually, Three times as worse. He said, Peter, before it's all over, you're going to betray me three times. So at the same table, with the same Savior, he dealt out almost identical hands to two of his followers. Judas and Peter. The cards were dealt, their move. Some of us know what that's like, right? Some of us know what it's like to get dealt 
a bad hand. Oh, man, God, I, I, what do you mean I'm going to betray you? What do you mean I'm going to mess up? But it was their move how they played the cards. And we know the story, right? Story goes next night. Sure enough, Judas plays his hand. He betrays Jesus. He tells the chief priests and the guards who Jesus is. How he identifies him with a kiss. Side note, this is just a cool nuance. I don't know if you've ever read that. Have you ever thought why did Judas need to kiss Jesus and identify him? Like the, the kiss was a normal greeting. But it, it hit me this week. I was talking actually with Pastor Craig. And, and it kind of like illuminated like at his most famous moment. Jesus had been doing ministry and miracles for three years. He was the biggest celebrity of his day. At his, the, the pinnacle, the height of his fame, the Roman guards could not pick him out of a lineup of 12 to 20 Jews. That's how normal Jesus looked. That's how normal Jesus was. At the height of his fame, you wouldn't know which one he was. Isn't that cool? I just like that. The Bible says like there was nothing extraordinary about the way Jesus looked. There's this really popular Christian song. It's like, what would you do if you walked in the room? I think we would do nothing. Because <laughs> we wouldn't be able to recognize him if he was still in his earthly form. I just love that we serve the Savior of the streets. We serve the Savior that didn't stand out. And by the way, he did not have blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jewish man. That's why I love the, anybody watching the series Chosen? Anybody seen that? I love that show. It's so cool. Jesus rolls up and he's just a normal Jew. It's so good. Anyways, that's side note. But Judas betrays Jesus. He, he, he gives them up. But then we catch up in the story. So he played his hand. He played his cards. And let's see after he followed the bad advice how he handled it. Matthew chapter 27 verse 3. Then Judas, then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned. Side note there, most theologians believe that Judas was not trying to kill Jesus. A lot of theologians believe that Judas was actually trying to rush Jesus to force Jesus' hand into overthrowing Rome. So Judas thought, if I can just get confrontation happening, Jesus would have no other choice but to assume his position of king of Israel and overthrow Rome. Ju like most theologians don't think Judas was trying to betray Jesus to his death. And side note teaching there, you can't force God into your timing. You got to work with his. But, but he said after he realized that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. He regretted the decision. And how did he handle the regret after following the bad advice? He changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is this to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he ran away. He departed and he went and hanged himself. You see the cascading sequence of events here? Ju Judas made a decision. He followed bad advice and betrayed Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I found that in life, every regret is followed by a choice. Right? Every regret you make, like when you make a bad decision and you regret it, you then are left with another choice. Right? Here, Judas made a bad decision, he followed bad advice, and then he had a choice. How was he going to handle his regret? It reminds me of um, uh, when I was 17 years old. Man, that was a long time ago. Jesus, thank you. Uh, some of you are like, stop. <laughs> but it reminds me of I was 17, year old, 17 years old. I'd been driving for about a year, year and a half. And um, I, I remember I was speeding home. 
Y'all pray for your pastor. I was feeding, and, and you'll see why I said that. But, but I was late for a Christmas party. And I was running late, and there was this road in Pensacola, Florida called Highway 90, and I was speeding down the causeway because everybody speeds. Bad advice. Do what everybody else does, right? So I'm speeding down the causeway, come over a hill, and guess what I see in the median? 5-0. Right? Cop, right in the median. And what do you do when you see a cop in the median? Brace! Right? Ah! I used to have a, a Sunday school teacher who was a cop, and uh, he told me that even when he's in his cop car and he sees another cop, he hits his brakes. So cops do it too. He did say if you're not speeding and you hit your brakes, that means you have a guilty conscience and you need to check yourself. I was like, ooh, that's good. Um, so, of course, I come over that hill. I see a cop. I'm like, ah, and I hit my brakes. And sure enough, whoop, whoop, you know, he pulls me over. Now, this is the first time I had ever been pulled over. I was going 74 and a 55, and I was like, first time offender. Like, of, of course I'll get out of this, right? And I've ridden with my mom and sister and seen them getting, get out of so many tickets. Like they just bat their eyes or cry or something. They're beautiful women and they always get out of the ticket. Fellas, don't bat your eyes or cry. It goes worse. Um, just bad advice. Don't try that. And so the cop comes up and I'm like, oh, you know, it's the first time. I'm sorry. No mercy. Bam. Like hundred something dollar ticket. I'm 17 years old. I, I followed the bad advice. I, I followed the crowd. I sped. I got penalized for it. I regretted it. And then I was left with a choice to tell my father or to not. Any teenagers in the house? Any teens? What would you do? <laughs> One person was honest, the rest of you are like, oh, of course I'd tell you, mom. Right? Like, but I was like, no, if I tell my dad, I will lose all my driving privileges. It's not going to go well. So I thought I can handle this myself. I made the choice to not, it wasn't really a lie. It was more of a lie of omission. Like I wasn't going to tell him, right? And so I was like, I can handle this. I can pay the ticket. So I get home, go to the Christmas party. I feel awful, but I'm like acting like I'm okay. And the next morning I start to try and figure it out. I make another choice. Okay, I can do this on my own. And I was like, okay, all I got to do is pay this ticket. But then I realized if I pay the ticket, I get points on my license. If I get points on my license, my insurance goes up and my parents pay my insurance, they'll find out. So I got to get rid of the points. But then I found out in the state of Florida, if you take an online four-hour driving course, you get no points on your license. Therefore, the insurance that would not go up, problem solved. I'm a man. I take care of my problems, right? I'm good. But then I had another problem. I remembered to take an online course, I needed a credit or debit card. I'm 17 years old. I did have a debit card, but my parents were linked to my account. What am I going to do, God? I'm praying. The next day is Christmas. I wake up. And my stocking is a $200 Visa gift card. The Lord provideth. Praise God. <laughs> Jesus is on his throne. He made a way. Waymaker, right? I was like, yes! The next day, I take the course. I pay the ticket. There's no financial evidence of the transaction. I'm a grown man. I handle my problems. Praise the Lord. The next day, I go to leave to hang out with some friends. I'm walking out of the house. And my dad says, hey, Corey, real quick. I said, yes, sir. He said, did you get a ticket? I said, to a concert? <laughs> what dost thou sayest, Father? <laughs> what do you speak of? He said, no, nah, did you get a speeding ticket? I had another choice. I had another choice. Every regret is followed by a decision, is followed by a choice. I had another choice. I looked back at him and said, no, sir. Don't, don't owe me. Act like you never lied before. I was young and dumb. Said, no, sir. He said, okay. I walk out the door. I'm like, how does he know? I took care of everything. So I go about my day. The next day, I'm going to a movie with some friends. 
I go to walk out the house. Again, hey, Corey, before you go, yes, sir. Did you get a ticket? said, no, why do you keep asking? He said, just wondering, have fun. I walk out the door and I'm like, how does he know, how does he know, how does he know? I get to the movie. I'm halfway through this movie. I get a phone call from my dad. He knows I'm in a movie. I flip open my Razor phone. Anybody remember flip phones? <laughs> Dated myself there, right? I flip open my phone and I go, hey, dad, I'm in a movie. What's up? He goes, oh, okay. Did you get a ticket? It's a true story. I had another choice. Well, and at that point I thought, well, I already lied twice. And if I tell the truth now, he's going to tell me to get my butt home and I'll miss half the movie. So whatever. And I just went, no, sir. And he goes, okay. Enjoy the movie. I did not enjoy that movie. I was so ridden with guilt. I can't even tell you what movie it was. After the movie, I rushed home. I went the speed limit. I went home. I, get, I burst through the door. I said, Dad, I got to talk to you. He said, yes, son. I said, I need to be honest. I did get a speeding ticket. He said, I know you did. I said, how did you know? He goes, Dad, if you got it, we started getting those things in the mail for a traffic course with your name on it. I forgot to check the mail. I did everything but, but that. And so I said, I said, you knew every time you asked me? He said, yeah, I wanted to see if you tell the truth. I said, well, I told the truth. Am I good? And he goes, no, you grounded one week for every time you lied. I learned real quick that there's consequences when we make those cascading choices that follow regrets, that follow the bad advice we follow. And here in Judas' story, just kind of remind, I know that's comical and it's fun, but there's times in life where it's not that funny and where the consequences are much greater. Here in this story, it said Judas, after he realized he followed some bad advice, he changed his mind, he regretted it. And then it said he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest saying, I've sinned, I messed up. And they said, what is this to us? See, the first thing Judas did, he, he followed some bad advice and he made a mistake. Then he regretted it, but here's how he handled his regret. The first piece of bad advice Judas followed is he ran to the problem. On the count of three, everybody say run to the problem. One, two, three. And, and by that I mean he tried to fix it himself. He goes, ah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's kind of like a pride issue. Like I can fix this if I just, if I keep going, if I, I can make it better, I can, I can work this out. And we all know what that's like. Married people, you ever uh, say that thing? And like as you're saying it, you're like, no, 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 right? And then once it's out there, fellas, maybe you can relate to this. You think if I keep talking, I could fix it. I can explain why I said that, that, that. And we run to the problem, like, oh, I can do this, I can fix it, I can fix it, I can fix it. I struggle with this so much, guys. When I mess up, man, that's my first instinct. I can fix this on my own. I don't need anyone's help. I can handle this. And it really just stems maybe out of a Messiah complex, but ultimately out of pride. But the first piece of bad advice when dealing with regret is run to the problem. But it got worse. What, what does it say, Judas? Said, it said he ran and tried to fix it. He tried to do it on his own. And then they said, man, this means nothing to us. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he ran away. He departed. The second thing Judas did, the second piece of bad advice, is he ran from the problem. Everybody say run from the problem. One, two, three. See, some of us don't struggle with, oh, I can fix it, I can fix it. Some of us mess up and we deny it. We blame well, if you wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have said that. Well, if you wouldn't have raised your voice, I wouldn't have raised mine. 
Oh, if you wouldn't have treated me like that, I would, if, you, if you would have treated me better, I wouldn't have cheated. If you would have... We justify, we blame, and ultimately we deny and run from it. It didn't happen. See, the bad advice number one is you run to the problem on your own and try and fix it. Bad advice number two is you run from it and try and deny it. Ignore it. Push it under the rug. Nobody has to know. The problem is when we run to the problem in our own strength and then we run from the problem in denial, there's only one path left to go. Like when you mess up, when we follow bad advice and we mess up in life and we regret, what's the number one emotion we feel? The same emotion I felt when I lied to my dad. What, what do we feel? Guilty. Don't we? We feel guilt. But the problem is guilt is not from God. God does not want us to feel, feel guilty because guilt leads to shame. And guilt leads to shame, and shame leads to depression. Now, I'm not talking about clinical depression. I'm just talking about when you start to identify yourself as the mistake. I am a liar. I am a cheater. I'm no good. Ugh. Guilt leads to shame. Shame can lead to depression. And depression ultimately could lead to death. In Judas's case, he ran to the problem, he ran from the problem, and then he followed his emotions. And what was he feeling? Guilt, shame, can lead to depression, can lead to death. Now, in his case, it was physical. But let, let's make it more practical. Like many of us know this to be true. Right? Like we've messed up, we followed some bad advice in a relationship, and then we try and fix it on our own, and then we run from it and start to blame them, and then we follow our emotions, we follow our heart and our feelings, and we go, man, if you wouldn't and I wouldn't, and we start to project and we start to blame, and it's not long before that relationship dies. Many of us have done this in our careers. We make a mistake at work, and instead of admitting the mistake to our boss, we try and fix it on our own, we make it worse. Then we blame somebody else, and, oh, I never liked that job anyway. Then we get caught up in our emotions. It's not long before we lose the job. Guilt leads to shame, shame, depression, depression, death. There's multiple layers and multiple tiers of our lives. I almost called this sermon, Bad Advice, Follow Your Heart. Anybody ever told you to follow your heart? I had a really well-meaning relative one time. I was going through a really hard season and she said, just, just follow your heart, Corey. And that sounds beautiful. It sounds poetic. But that is the dumbest advice anyone could ever give you. You know why? The Bible never says to follow your heart. Your heart being your feelings. The Bible never says follow your heart. The Bible actually says the heart is deceitful above all things. You shouldn't follow it. You should guard it. And we really get messed up when we follow our emotions, especially when dealing with regret. And so you see Judas here was dealt his hand and he played his hand. And there was this cascading, like, these events that just kept falling apart and falling apart because he ran to the problem, ran from the problem, and then followed his emotions. But on the same night, Peter was dealt an identical hand. And Peter played his hand the same way. Y'all know the story, right? Jesus was taken and Peter followed Jesus. You can read it. And Peter follows Jesus and sure enough, a guy comes up to Peter and says, Hey, aren't you with that Jesus guy? Don't you know him? And what does Peter say? No, I don't know him. What are you talking about? And then it says a girl, a little girl comes up to Peter and says, Hey, didn't I see you with Jesus? Aren't you one of his guys? And Peter looks at this little girl and says, no, 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 no. I don't know him. 
And then it says another man comes up and says, whoa, wait, you came from Galilee where he's from. You've got to be with his posse. You have to know him. And Peter says, no, I do not know him. And then the Bible tells us in Luke 22, verse 62, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Dealing with grief and regret. He followed some bad advice. He played his hand the same way Judas did. But watch the difference in the way Peter handled his regret from Judas. Judas ran to the problem, ran from the problem and followed his emotions. Peter, it says three days later, some women went to the tomb to take care of Jesus' body. The stone was rolled away and they're like, ah, he's not here. They run back to the disciples in the upper room. Side note, did you catch the nuance difference there? There's a little caveat in that. What did Judas do? Judas ran to the problem by himself. Judas ran from the problem by himself. And Judas followed his emotions by himself. Peter made the same mistake, but what was the first thing he did? He went and got in the upper room with the other disciples. The enemy will always make you isolate yourself. He will always want you to isolate yourself, especially when you're dealing with regrets. God knows that community is one of the greatest tools to handling life's biggest failures. Some of you today feel hopeless. It's because you ain't got nobody around you going, you can do it. You can make it. We're messed up too. We're in this together. That's why after service today, there are stations set up in the lobby, go sign up for a group, for a life group if you're not in one. Do not do life alone. I like to tell Zeal down in Jamaica, if you're doing it alone, you're doing it wrong. We need to do life together. And the first thing Peter does is he's with the other disciples. But check the difference in what Peter does. The women come and say, hey, Jesus has risen. Ten of the disciples stay, but it says in Luke 24, 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Then a few days later, John chapter 21, verse 7, John and Peter were in the boat fishing. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. He's on the shore. Jesus, that's him. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for your strip for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Did you catch those verbs? Peter rose, he ran, he threw. Where? Instead of running to his problem, Peter ran to the problem solver. Some bad advice, run to the problem. Some good advice, run to Jesus. Everybody on the count of three say run to Jesus. Well, I didn't count to three, but cool. <laughs> Drastically different courses. That sounds real preachy, right? Run to Jesus, why? Because if you're dealing with a problem, you need the problem solver. He ran to Jesus, but he didn't just run to Jesus. I love this. He gets on the shore with Jesus. And it says in John 21, verse 15, when they had finished breakfast. Side note, sometimes you just need to eat. <laughs> sometimes when dealing with regret and issues, you just need to sleep and eat a little bit. And I love that Jesus was like, you want some breakfast? You know, Peter was like, I need to talk to you. He's like, let's eat first. Let's eat first. I mean, that, that's why community groups, some of them have breakfast together. Some of them have dinner together. Sometimes you just need to eat together. You need to just get to know one another and let the stuff come. And, and he said, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
He said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time. Why do you think it grieved Peter? I think it grieved Peter because Jesus asked him three times, which reminded him of the three times he denied Jesus. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. See, when we follow bad advice and we're dealing with regret, we can keep making those bad decisions, those bad choices, running to the problem, running from the problem, trying to fix it ourselves, denying it, ultimately following our emotions, or we can run to the problem solver, we can run to Jesus. And the second thing we see here is Jesus gave Peter an opportunity to redeem himself. For every time Peter said, I don't know him, Jesus looked at him in the eye and said, do you love me? And Peter said, I love you. He was giving Peter a chance to say what he wishes he would have said that night because every regret can be redeemed in Jesus if we will be honest, open, and transparent and confess to Jesus. Somebody say confess to Jesus. So we run to him. But it's not enough just to run to him. we got to be honest with him. We gotta, the Bible says confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Modern day psychology and counseling is just following biblical advice. You go to see a therapist and doesn't it feel great to get everything off your chest? It's even better when it's with people that love you. In a small, now I'm not saying you put it on your social media like, oh, I did X, Y, and Z and here's all my sins. But that's why we have small groups. That's why we get in community. So that way we can run to Jesus together. So we can lift each other up. And then when we mess up, we can look at each other. Maybe one-on-one, one-on-two. Now, I, I'm just going to say it. I didn't say it the first service. But somebody a couple months ago was teaching me about something called Dutch clean. Something about like we don't air out our, our garbage here. No, that's, mm, hmm, hmm, right? If you don't confess your regrets, you're keeping yourself from healing. You're not clean. You're just hoarding your regrets. It's so powerful when we run to Jesus, when we confess to Jesus. And I made the statement, every regret can be redeemed in Jesus. And some of you today are going, yeah, Corey, that's cute, but you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea the regrets I deal with. But did you know even God has regrets? Some of you are like, whoa, is that heresy? Like, can he say that? No, he doesn't. How does the all-knowing, all-powerful God have regrets? Check it. Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, it says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. All of us have felt grief. Even our Father in heaven 
has felt grief from regret. See, God, if you're new to church, God, we believe he created perfect harmony. He created a world in love and peace, and he put man into that world. And in his perfect love and wisdom, he gave man free will. And instead of following good advice and following God, man followed bad advice and followed our own pride and our own wants. And we brought sin and disease and death into the world. And we just kept hurting each other and hurting each other and hurting each other. And it said it grieved God to his heart, and he regretted making man. But let me ask you this question, Central. How did God redeem man? It's not a trick question. If you don't know the answer in church, just say Jesus. There you go. How did God redeem man? He sent his son Jesus. Even God's regrets were redeemed with Jesus. You think what you've done is too bad, is too evil, is too messed up for God to, for God to redeem you, for Jesus to redeem Even God's regrets. We're redeemed in his son Jesus. Whatever you've done, whatever bad advice you followed, welcome to the club. We've all done it. But if you'll run to Jesus, if you'll confess to Jesus, and then I love the end of it. It says after he gave Peter a chance to redeem himself. Hey, say what you wish you would have said. It's okay. He said he got up and he followed Jesus. Judas ran to the problem. He ran from the problem. Then he followed his emotions. Bad advice. Peter made the same mistake, but then he ran to Jesus. He confessed to Jesus, and then he followed Jesus. Such a better master than your emotions. And it kind of like, it takes us back to this game of life. Like, I wonder how many of us today are hearing this and we're going, yeah, again, Corey, that's cool, but you have no idea the cards I've been dealt. Man, I was dealt an abusive family. I was dealt debt. I was, man, I was dealt depression. I was dealt disease. I was dealt divorce. You have no idea the cards I'm dealing with. But what if I was to tell you today? That in the game of life, much just like at a casino, if you went to a casino today and I told you, hey, hey, no matter the cards you're dealt, I guarantee you will win this next hand. No matter the cards you're dealt, you will win. How would you bet? Again, that's not a trick question. Y'all like rhetorical here. How would you bet? Thank you. He even did the motion. He was like all in, right? Why? Because you know you're going to win no matter the cards. You would be a fool to hold anything back. So it is when we follow Jesus. God says in Christ is forgiveness, in Christ is redemption, in Christ is peace, is love, is joy. It doesn't matter the cards you're dealt. If you know you will win in the end if you follow Jesus, why not go all in? Here's the problem. Some of us today, that, that's the good advice we need to follow. Today's your day. You need to stop running to the problems. You need to stop running from it. You need to stop following your emotions. And today's the day you need to follow some good advice. Run to Jesus. Run to the Father. Confess to the Father. Get in a group. Get in community. And ultimately, you need to go all in and follow Jesus. For some of you today, that's... That's the move. You're going to have the best fall you've ever had. You're going to have the best year you've ever had. Because when you follow Jesus, you're guaranteed to win. Today you need to go all in. But some of us today, 
we're still following the bad advice. And we're holding back just a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus, you can have my life. You can have every part of me except for the way I do my relationships. I'm going to hold that back. Oh, yeah, Jesus, you can have every part of my life um, except for my finances. I'm going to do that my way. Yeah, Jesus, you can have every part of my life except for the way I talk to people at work. Central, church family, how foolish would it be if we knew we were going to win and we held anything back? Today's the day we go all in. And I always wondered, after Peter had that breakfast with Jesus, how he felt. I don't know if you know this, Peter wrote a couple letters in the New Testament. And when he finally got a chance to put pen to paper, I want you to listen to what Peter wrote. And I don't think it's any coincidence. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. We are a new creation to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, to a wealth that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved. Any surprise that Peter writes about grief. He knows what it's like to let him down. He knows what it's like to follow bad advice. He knows what it's like to struggle with grief. And he says, hey, for a little while you may have been grieved by various trials. So that, this is why, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Does that not sound like 2 Corinthians 5, 7 or 7, 10? For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to a salvation without regret. As we kick off this series central, may this be the season where if we're holding back, we choose to run to the Father and go all in. May this be the season where we stop following those bad advice, that bad advice, and we stop running to the problem by ourselves out of pride, and we stop running from the problem out of shame, and we stop following our emotions, but rather today we say, Jesus, I want to run to you. I want to be real and confess to you. And Jesus, I want to follow you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can run to you. And you're not a condemning father, you're not a finger-pointing father, but you have arms open wide for us every time. And God, today as we kick off this fall season, God, I just pray that you would do a new thing in our church, that there would be a just a freshness and newness of those of us that need to just run to you for the 50,000th time and say, I'm sorry, God, that we would feel your embrace today. And God, for those of us that need to run to you for the first time, that today would be the day that we run to our Father. In Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.